Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline right now. His name is Greg Rakestraw, who joins us. So, should they just go ahead and make a league out of the transfer portal? <laughs> College free agency, huh? Yeah. The transfer portal all-stars will be the best team on the planet, probably. Um, don't think that's going to happen, but maybe they can file that under consideration for the next wave of television money. And let's face it, normally, I really I get a bit of a sports arousal out of free agency. Why don't I get a similar sports arousal out of college free agency? Probably because it changes the system as to how we're used to it. Um, and, and while there are – I don't fault the kids for taking advantage of the opportunity. You know, I, I, I feel bad for, for certain schools. And let me give you an example. And this is not to bag on Carson Steele in any way, shape, form, or fashion because do I think he can play at a higher level? I do. But I feel bad for Ball State. You know, that Ball State, you know, based its entire offense around Carson this past year, and now you're back to square one uh, with that. Uh, but took an IC Carson up at an IU or, or someplace else, playing one year and then going on the National Football League, yes. And given how coaches are able to move, players should be able to have that same luxury. So logically, I can get there, but do I feel good about it? Not really. I, I, I feel bad for Ball State's half of it. I think it's going to be indicative of how uh, mid-majors and lower are going to be treated in this equation going forward. Yeah, no question about that. Man, I guess that is the reason why. I don't like that form of free agency as much as I do in the professional ranks. So you think that the the sequel of Jeff Brom and Louisville is going to go much better for Jeff Brom and Louisville than the original did? You've got to think so. And I mean, my thought on this whole process has been that if Jeff doesn't take it now, it's not getting offered. You know, you can always go someplace else from Louisville if for some reason going back as the head coach isn't going to work out. And I was filling in for Schultz yesterday on Query and Schultz, and yep. my knowledge of, of, of Louisville sports having grown up down there I, th- I think plays into it here. Uh, but Jeff's years at UofL were my years in high school. So, I mean, I literally remember growing up and hearing about his exploits at Trinity High School and can tell you – chapter and verse on the family dad played there both brothers played there i mean this is the manning family of louisville that we are talking about you know where older brother was a receiver younger brother was a quarterback both the two younger brothers at least had chances to play in the national football league and play professionally again he is royalty in that town and so if he doesn't go back now there will not be another chance to go back and be the head coach of the University of Louisville. It's, it's, and, and again, if he walks out now too, you know he's going. He's he's leaving on a high note. Uh, you know, taking Purdue to the Big Ten championship game. So I just I just think the timing is right you know, on on both fronts that he's going to take that job. Ceiling wise, compare the two gigs moving forward: Purdue and Louisville. Which one, just outside of it being home for the Brom family, which one has a higher ceiling? Which one would be, you think, the better gig as we move further and further into the world of NIL, transfer portals, and teams uh, coming into your particular league now? 
I, I think I think the opportunities at U of L are bigger for a couple three different reasons. All right, first of all, they are the big game in town, and and Purdue, while having Big Ten money and having a well-funded endowment uh, in terms of alums, et cetera, you know Purdue has to compete with Indiana, has to compete with the professional sports teams. U of L is competing with the University of Kentucky. It's the only thing they are competing with down there. Two, yes, you've got Clemson but you don't have the impediments in front of you in that league that Purdue does. You know, where we all knew, hey, listen, Purdue's not as good as Michigan. Purdue had the benefit of geography, and we all expect that is going to change. And now you're adding a program like USC into that mix as well, where in the ACC you've got Clemson, and that's it. And even Clemson has kind of come down from where they have been for the better part of the last decade. So, you know, the television money is better at Purdue I think the lack of competition and in terms of, of other teams in the league and the lack of competition in terms of for the entertainment dollar and the sponsorship dollar are better at U of L and you combine that with going home. I, th- I think that's where he ends up. So Greg Raystraw on the Andy Moore on the mother group hotline. I want to revert back to talking about the transfer portal. Seems like half of the IU football teams in it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's not a good sign. But at the same time, you know, those same guys, we're the ones that combined for six wins the last two years. Yeah. And so it, it gives Tom Allen a chance to go out and get new players and, and, and do something better. And so it's not a good look now. But, again, depending on whom they are able to go get, maybe they're a better team because of it. And, again, I, I think at the back end of conferences – and at schools outside of the Power Five, or in basketball, I throw the Big East in there too, for the Power Six, this, this is what it's going to look like now. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm kind of changing my thought on it in terms of, you know, how you would recruit because, because they do so much at the high school level. We hear how high school recruiting has changed because of you're not as recruiting as many high school kids. You're recruiting kids who are going to be college transfers. In, in football, I'm not so sure I'd recruit any differently. In other words, go out and get 20 or 25 kids every year, and then if you have 25 kids you're going to replace on your current roster, well, you'll replace those 20 or 25 with guys from somebody else's roster. Uh, and, so, and so college basketball, because you're recruiting three or four kids in a year, yeah, that changes. Football, I think you're recruiting the same way. And you may literally see 40 to 50 new players on a roster between incoming freshmen and transfers now on a yearly basis. And again, I, I understand it. I still don't think it's a good thing for college sports. Will mid-major teams in either football or basketball be able to hold up any traction of consistent winning like could have been the case, probably was the case for a couple, maybe a handful in years prior to the transfer portal? Consistent winning, I'm not sure. Do we see more mid-majors have an opportunity to have breakthrough years to get the right combination of kids? Yes. And let's face it, you, know, you talked to Josh Schertz last week. They've got most of their kids on that team have played elsewhere. Josh surely has a recruiting theme. He's kind of going after the Division II All-Stars and, and getting kids from other schools, but that's the niche that he's taken, and so far it's so good. Now, they haven't played a, a Power 5 team, and frankly, they're not going to in their schedule, but they can still be the Missouri Valley Conference champions and, and make a run. Look at what St. Peter's did last year because they had experienced players. But I know at least one of those kids, the Eddard kid, is now at Bryant. I mean, he, he left. He didn't go to some place that was bigger. He went to some place that was smaller. Um, and so what I think you'll have is more opportunities for teams to have one great year. 
Now can you keep those kids together? That's going to be the problem. It's Greg Graystraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I use problem on Saturday afternoon at Rutgers. Is that more just Rutgers having their number or more of a lingering issue that Mike Woodson and company will certainly have to deal with more than what we saw on Saturday? I think it's a combination of two. First of all, Rutgers is a good program. Uh, we want to make fun of Rutgers when given the opportunity, but Steve Peichel's done a heck of a job there. Two, that's a tough place to play because there's now nothing else like it in the Big Ten. You know, Penn State gave up their home court advantage. Northwestern, um, while modernizing their arena, kind of gave up a little bit of their home court advantage too. You know, Rutgers is playing in the barn. Rutgers is playing in the gymnasium. It's not an easy place to play. Did that expose some of the issues that Indiana has if they have an off-night shooting? Yes, it does. Because, let's face it, Indiana with, what, 63 points? Most nights, that is a fantastic defensive effort. Um, but offensively, they were so bad that it didn't matter. So, could that issue flare up again? Yes. Do I still think Indiana's a, a pretty good basketball team? Yes, I do. I just think they largely had an off night. Weakness for Purdue, because everybody's in love with them right now, and for a good reason. But if you're going to look at a, a part of this team, a position on this team where you still need to see more this early in the season, Greg, point to it. I'm not sure if there's something I want to see more of. One of them would be experience. You know, at some point in time, guys like Smith and Lawyer, for as, as, as pro those kids as I am, they're going to hit a freshman wall at some point during the middle of, of Big Ten play. Um, so, so that immediately comes to mind. And then having that guy that can go get you a bucket when you have to have it. Jaden Ivey was that guy last year. The guy they have closest to it is Brandon Newman, but he hasn't proven it yet the way that Jaden Ivey did over the course of, of a couple of years. Yeah, Zach Eady can get you a bucket. Always worried about him sitting on the sidelines. Always worried about the post being that guy that's going to get you a bucket as well. So, again, the inexperience of their guards, and despite how much I, I, I love those two kids and they think they're great, they're still freshmen. That will show at some point in time. And again, can Newman be like Jaden Ivey late in games? That's the other thing that, that you will have to need at some juncture of this season. All right, Greg, a couple of final things regarding the World Cup. How did the USA look to you? overall and that was at the beginning against wales all the way to the end on saturday when they were knocked out by netherlands about what i expected you know i mean netherlands is is a good team i thought that game be a little more competitive frankly it was more competitive than the score uh in terms of possession and and things like that um but i thought overall in this world cup the u.s did what they needed to do they get out of the group stage now the expectations skyrocket for four years from now there is the bounce of getting to play at home there is the bounce of as many as 10 of the same starters you just saw being back on the team four years from now. That doesn't happen. That's how young this group is, with the exception of Tim Ream. Tim Ream will not be coming back. He's 35. It was a great story that he got to play, but he's probably a pro for another year or two, let alone playing at a, at a world-class international level. But virtually everybody else, you never know how form changes or the next big thing coming up, but the roster in 26 is going to look a lot like the one in 22. And there are very few countries that have that luxury. So for those that say, hey, we've gotten to a level and plateaued, 2026 has always been the big story. And so now it is about how does this group get to the quarterfinals? How does this group get to the semifinals? Dare to dream, could we win the whole stinking thing in 26? I don't think it's that far-fetched. 
I'm not sure if we'll ever be a country that you say every four years we've had a chance to win it. But because of the way all the circumstances line up, I think we've got an outside chance of doing it in four years. And the fact that you don't have to worry about qualifying, we know that we're in. Now is, is where you, you know, strategically start to think about, okay, that means more matches against the top team from Europe. You don't have to worry about playing the teams in CONCACAF. Most of our players are based in Europe anyway. Let's see if the U.S. Soccer Federation thinks more about the overall goal and less about the almighty dollar. And by that, it means playing a lot of friendlies in Europe, keeping those guys over there, and being ready for the top European teams when that competition rolls around three and a half years from now. Greg, final thing. Cristiano Ronaldo was benched by his coach today, and his Portuguese team has scored five goals on their way and walking all over the Swiss right now. What's going on with one of the most well-known, one of the fantastic players in the world, soccer being benched in the fashion that he was today? That's a good question. Honestly, I have not followed their match today, so you're breaking some soccer news to me. That's the first time that's ever been said. And probably the last time it'll happen as well. <laughs> yes, so, it will be. Uh, that's uh, you know, Cristiano has always been the best or second best player in the world, while his team has frankly not been much different than say Team USA, as evidenced by the U.S.'s results against Portugal when they have played during his 20-year run of being on the team. So I would say that's the biggest win for the Portuguese, if not ever close to it. The fact they can they can score five without one of the greatest two players to ever play the game playing. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, the guy replaced him has a hat trick. <laughs> His name is Ramos. So I, I guess Ronaldo is he's kind of getting, um, kind of getting Tom Brady a little bit here. I guess he's getting, he's getting Wally pipped. Lou yeah. Gehrig just came in to replace him. We'll never hear from him again. <laughs> you know, Drew Bledsoe. Ronaldo better, right you better, there. You better take that $200 million from Saudi Arabia then. That might be the last payday for him. Buddy, I appreciate that. You have a great week. And uh, next week we'll concentrate a little bit more on the high school basketball that's going on in the area. It sounds good. I'm going to have Ben Davis in Cathedral and Zionsville ah, in 10 me, oh, coming up on, on Saturday yes. night down at Southport Forum Tip-Off Classic at Elsie and Ellen tomorrow night. So I will hey. have plenty of high school hoopage to report back to you on when we do this again in seven days. You got two, ben Davis and, and Cathedral have two big dudes going at one another, right? Correct. So Zane Dowdy's going to play at Valparaiso. I mean, he's an Indiana all-star. He's, yeah. he's not an NBA prospect, you know, the way that Xavier Booker is. And and I saw Xavier Saturday night did not play great. The story on Saturday night for Cathedral was the fact that Jerron Tibbs, who as of now is not playing college basketball, is going to play football at Purdue. He had 33, and he absolutely carried them because it is rare that Xavier Booker and Jake Davis is going to play at Mercer next year. Have both have bad nights simultaneously, and they did. Those two guys combined for seven points. Yet Cathedral found a way to beat one of the best teams in Ohio, featuring Gabe Cups, who's going to play at IU next year. Irish still won that game by six. So Cathedral and Ben Davis are thought by most to be one and two in the state, and they will see each other on Saturday night, a game that I'll have for you on ISC and MyIndyTV. But I would love to see you in person at Southport Fieldhouse and pack that place for what could be a, I believe, semi-state game this year and not a regional game this year. Tell everybody to dunk as much as possible because they have new rims and goals at Southport Fieldhouse, and the rims are as tight as hell. They used to have some of the best, I mean, shooter-efficient rims going, and now they're tight as hell. So it needs loosened up. 
And I mean, loosen so up big time. Put GoPros on both baskets to encourage kids to dunk more and loosen them up. For yeah, you please, please do. We got to loosen those up. They're way, way too. I know, if I'm, uh, what's his name, Brand at Southport? I'm, uh, I'm trying to loosen those things up too, man. Because it's not like what it used to be there right now. We, uh, we last year we put a GoPro on what would be the south end basket, and Miles Colvin, because Heritage Christian play met event last year, they're not playing in it this year. Miles Colvin literally dunked on that, and I, I believe saw the GoPro and smiled as he threw it down. Maybe, maybe the coolest footage you ever had on the ISC Sports Network. So I will let teams know yes. to look for the GoPro and throw it down on both ends come Saturday. And I'll judge that coming up on Sunday morning when I go in there and play, too. So after what happens on Saturday, I'll come in Sunday morning and judge just how loose these guys get those rims because they need it. So this is what you do when you don't have the Saturday night takeover. You have a JMV Sunday morning takeover. Uh, I go anyway, even after the JMV takeover. I go if I'm I go on two and a half hours of sleep. Yeah, you are absolutely crazy. I'm I'm a manimal. I'm a manimal, Greg. You know it. All right, brother. I appreciate you. That's my JMV yelling in a gymnasium. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and then some other things too. (laughs) (laughs) See you, buddy. It's like Greg Rakeshaw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Let's get him on here. Uh, he is probably going to the Pacers in the Timberwolves game tomorrow because he staked out in Minneapolis. The Twin Cities for our friend Ben Brown of PFF. How are you, Ben? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. I, I like your thinking right there. I like, you know, T-Wolves minus four. Uh, we might have to bet some, like, steak dinner on that. Oh, game. maybe. <laughs> just. I don't know who's going to be playing for the Pacers because nobody played last night and they still beat Golden State. Right. Right. So, you, do you go to Timberwolves games? Do you go to the Target? Is this still the Target Center? It is still the Target Center. I do go a couple times a year. I enjoy, um, I enjoy going to basketball games. My my son actually plays hockey, of course. Um, so we enjoy going to wild games as well. But I I very much frequent, you know, the, the Minnesota sports teams as as much as I can. Now, do you also frequent Target? Because I've got some bad news. Target used to be a go to place for me. I mean, going all the way back, even before it was Target, it was called Airway around here. And it was a go-to place for me. I could walk in the door and you could smell the popcorn and you knew exactly where you were. And now I can't stand going in there. They've had this, they've, they've redone everything and they've moved a lot of stuff around. And I think the whole place sucks now. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I think for the same reasons, I very much avoid shopping in person. <laughs> I, I don't, like Menards, Walmart, Target, like I can never find my list of five five things in any of those stores. I, I literally walk around the store like four different times. So I'm very much like an online shopper or I do, you know, make, make my better half kind of, uh, you know, solve those problems because it's just not uh, my cup of tea whatsoever. By the way, Baker Mayfield cut loose, I believe yesterday by the Panthers has been claimed off of waivers by the Rams. So Baker Mayfield off of waivers by the Rams. All right, let's start here with Sunday night, which was dreadful. Do we even want to, if you follow the Colts around here, do you even want to hear some of these numbers? Or do they look relatively decent basically up until the fourth quarter? How did they read from Sunday night in your estimation, Ben? They weren't, you know, I would say overly bad. I do think, you know, from a run run defense perspective um they made enough plays probably early on but definitely broke down in the fourth quarter you know from a pass rush perspective they did have the one key pay you know sack but outside of that it was you know abysmal from that angle so those two facets i think was really disappointing they did have you know kind of like you said they had they had the lead at least at one point in the first quarter 
uh, but couldn't get enough stops defensively. And if you're only going to score 19 points, like uh, it, it's going to be really tough to beat uh, a high-quality team like the Dallas. Well, Cowboys. and if you're going to gag up 33 in the fourth quarter, too, you probably ought to score more than 19 yeah, as well. That's uh, yeah. that's the that's the difficult part for sure, right? And some of it was, you know, the, the the turnover situation, three interceptions from you know Matt Ryan. Absolutely can't you can't win football games against better teams with that sort of turnover differential. But it was, uh, you know, uh, probably not as bad as the final score indicates. There are, of course, some bright spots that we can touch on, but okay. What do you want to start? You want to start with the negatives or the bright spots here? What do you think? You tell me. I'll start with the bright spots. Okay, start with the bright spots. Go ahead. I I mean, it wasn't Isaiah Rogers' best game, and I did bring him up last week, but he is PFF's highest graded cornerback now through uh, 13 weeks, and they also have Stephon Gilmore. He's a top 10 coverage graded quarterback as well. So I do think defensively, and we didn't necessarily see that play out on Sunday, but defensively, like the framework is there for them to be, you know, I would say quite stout for, you know, a, a couple extended years out right now. So that's where we we're starting right there with the positivity. The positivity coverage play, which does matter. I would say yeah. just, you know, the, the rest of it is. Uh, in dire straits. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's get to the rest of it here. And one of my points has been that I think that this team has regressed in a fashion to where if they thought that they were relatively close, for example, Ben, going into this season, that they are no longer that. How would, and again, how would the numbers compute, to my opinion, that they are not close and certainly not as close as the Colts brass thought and the owner thought going into the season. Right. And and I think it's very much evident that they kind of thought that, right. I think when you see the retreat veteran quarterback kind of try and plug and play that, like that is a signal from ownership and the GM on down that you were very close to, um, you know, being contenders in in a very stacked AFC and they have not been there. And I think, you know, kind of what you've touched on previously, it's, it's still the offensive line. It's still guys like Quentin Nelson who are playing, you know, in some ways at a slightly below league average rate from both a pass blocking and run blocking perspective. But when you're paying a guy that much money, like the, the, that, that's just not enough at that particular position in order to be, you know, a, a really good football team. So Where does he rank as far line. as guards are concerned in the NFL right now? Quentin Nelson. Yeah, I- I can pull that up. And you, do you want pass protection? Do you want run? I want. I want. I want everything. Both? Everything that you would consider paying him a lot of money to do. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very easy here, Ben. Okay. Very easy. Um. So we have we have the old Quentin Nelson at, and this is both left guard and right guard play. He is twenty first. Um, uh, among guards and what we would say is kind of like a composite offensive grade of both pass blocking uh, and, and run blocking. So that's not very good. 21st. Not very good. No, Consider basically, yeah, yeah, roughly like 50 players or whatever. I mean, there is, you know, 42 starting or sorry, 64. I can't even do math right now. I'm on so much tilt. 64 starting guards in the NFL. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he, he's, you know, going back to it. He's in that maybe the upper quartile, uh, I think is a term we like to throw around on this yes, we do. Uh, radio broadcast once in a while. Um, he's, he's in the upper, you know, 25th percentile quartile of it, but he's still in the bottom range of that and, and being paid like he's the best at the position. Right? Yeah. You got to be uh, even more upper in the upper quartile is what you're saying here to justify right. it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Very much so. But I mean, I, you know, what they're getting from like a guy like Bernard Raymond now, I think especially over the last couple of weeks has been, uh, you know, I would say uh, relatively positive. Yeah, you're reading my mind. Tell me all about his numbers the past two weeks on a Monday nighter and a Sunday nighter for the rookie from Central Michigan. What do you got? Yeah, he's been, I mean, he's been, I would say kind of right there. I think um, I don't have his rank from those specific games and a range, but he was, I want to say their best, um, their p- best pass blocking grade over the last three weeks from a Colts perspective. Um, and, and has, I would say, isn't, you know, ranking as like a top five player at the position, but has been, um, you, 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 uh, you know, very much, I would say, um, there, I guess. Right. So. All right. So he's playing better the past two weeks. Uh, I'm going to let you look up the center and Ryan Kelly really quick because, you know, obviously this has not been a a good season for him, really for the entirety of the offensive line. And we're kind of picking and choosing what you're able to talk about that are positives right here. How has Ryan Kelly been playing so far this year? And I guess in in recent, these past couple of weeks uh, as a center for the Colts along that offensive line. Yeah, so I think he's kind of coming off basically a pretty low performance. I would say it's his fourth worst overall offensive grade of the season. Had kind of started putting it together a little bit, um, you know, specifically against the Raiders, had an above average overall grade, uh, but now basically kind of finishing as it's like 53.7. So definitely I would say, you know, bottom bottom third tier uh, from the center position, which, you know, again, when you, when you kind of piece all these players together, if you're getting a lot of, you know, bottom half, bottom third, bottom quartile play from every single position on the, along the offensive line, you, you very much arrive at, you, you know, an overall ranking in, you, you know, the 30s basically from a team perspective. So it's been, uh, you know, a little bit of a struggle. I think he is, you know, among centers, 27th in overall offensive grade uh, throughout the entire season. I think if you're looking just at like the past three weeks, um, bumps up, um, a, a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, it is still kind of a long, um, you know, similar timing or a similar band of being, you know, like the, the, the 27th to the 30th, basically, uh, best center, uh, in both pass blocking and run blocking it, it uh, as far as like across the NFL. All right, look up Jonathan Taylor's numbers right now at this point of the season. And as you do that, I'll remind everybody, Ben Brown, a pro football focus with us. He's the uh, data and betting scientist slash analyst. Each and every Tuesday in the 4 o'clock hour runs the analytic numbers on how this Colts team is doing. Well, not so much. Bad. Often we hear those particular numbers. This season to date for a guy that just had an incredible year this past year. Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, so we have him, and again, this is among you know, uh, you know, uh, halfbacks basically with like a hundred plus attempts at this point in the season. We have Jonathan Taylor, thirty uh, second uh, basically um, from a, from a, from a rushing perspective, and has been you know I would say adequate. I think you know his yards per carry uh, probably bumps him up you know closer to you know like the twenty fifth overall or something like that. But I think you know going back to it there is probably some difficulties in, you know, separating out the performance between, you know, how impactful a running back is versus, you know, in comparison to how impactful that offensive line is in those running situations. So we have Jonathan Taylor, basically, so I had a, a slightly different filter on. We have Jonathan Taylor, 29th best, you know, rushing grade so far this season among, you know, starting caliber 
uh, running backs that have at least 100 attempts so far. Where was he a year ago? Was he number one on your list? He was number one. He was number <sighs> one or number two. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Uh, I can look that up here relatively quickly. No, that's okay. That's good enough right there. Number one or number two, I think. And then you see the uh, the downward slide this season tells us basically all we need to know regarding that. Matt Ryan's numbers as a whole this season, because we're discussing around here, Ben, whether or not that coming out of the bye week he should be the starter. I've suggested, you know, what the hell might as well. Nick Foles, some have said bring back Ellinger, whatever, but it kind of seems like, you know, they're probably going to lose anyway. doesn't really matter. But just for the sake of it right now, where are his numbers as a quarterback ranking this season in the NFL? Yes, we have him 30th of 32 starting quarterbacks right now. You know, the two the two guys above him, Marcus Mariota, who, you know, at least brings some semblance of, you know, production to his legs. And then, uh, you know, Jared Goff. So I think, you know, kind of the quarterbacks in his range below him, you know, guys like Mac Jones, uh, Justin Fields as well. But this is, you know, passing specific grade. It is right. an overall, you know, offensive grade. So the, the fact that a lot of the quarterbacks around him from a passing perspective also bring you know, very much the ability to generate offense with their legs as well. Uh, it's just probably another indictment on, you know, Matt Ryan overall. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a terrible season, no doubt about that. And I'm, I'm certain that the Bears, regardless of the ranking from you guys right now, probably feel much better about their future quarterback situation than anybody around here might about what's going down here in Indy. Right. And very much so. So I think, yeah, if we're looking at it, if you want to fold in, you know, running grade or whatever, and this would kind of include some of, you know, the pressure type situations as well. Matt Ryan's 34th overall. Uh, we do have like, you know, Carson Wentz kind of folded into that equation. Davis Mills, those sorts of people that aren't starting any longer, but, you know, has very much probably not even provided, you know, starting caliber type play at the quarterback position to you know the first 13 weeks of the season uh, ben brown with the bad news regarding the colts as we've received basically each and every tuesday via the andy moore automotive group hotline so it's a bye week we'll dive into this i'm certain more coming up next tuesday but next up on that schedule is a saturday afternoon affair um up in minneapolis where you are right now against the minnesota vikings their numbers offensively and defensively as we hit this bye week at least for the colts how are the vikings looking on either side of the football analytics wise yeah i mean i think very much you know people want to label what they've done and what they have been as very much league average right now that's not necessarily where their record falls but uh given some of the flukiness in which they've won one score games and and the way in which they've even arrived there like a, a lot of power rankings metrics have them you know much lower than what their win loss record would indicate now i think you know, specifically this weekend, uh, you know, they're two and a half point underdogs to a Detroit Lions team that everyone would kind of assume they are better than. So we'll see if they can actually show out there a little bit. But uh, this is kind of the stretch for the Vikings, I would say, where they actually kind of need some convincing quality offensive performances uh, in, in order to, you know, at least be considered challengers in the NFC when it's all said and done. Yeah. So have you lost any of your uh, thought that they they could be a team that would win a couple at least one in the postseason? I think they can definitely win a football. I think they can definitely win a playoff football game. I also think that the way in which people are measuring their luck is probably in some ways off or a little bit off basis. Like I think, you know, going back to it, 
Um, you know, there was like the, the game on Thanksgiving against the New England Patriots and everyone points to not only, you know, the, the, the non-catch catch that Hunter Henry had, but also the return touchdown that, you know, the Vikings were fortunate to score. And, and if you remove those sorts of plays, obviously the, 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 the outcome is different, but you know, what people fail to mention is, you know, the Patriots had a very good kick return in that particular matchup as well, and did end up scoring a touchdown on that particular drive. So if that is, you know, also an indication of luck, at least in getting that quality quick re- kick return, like why are the Patriots not knocked in a similar manner? So I do think some of the, you know, more advanced luck-based elements to try and remove some of those things are, you know, maybe understating the value or, or, or the way in which the Vikings have kind of a, arrived at winning their football games. So I think they're probably better than what, you know, the betting market and power rankings and everything have them right now. But uh, I also think we're probably going to find out just how good they can be over, you know, the remaining regular season schedule. How's everybody feeling about Kevin O'Connell in Minneapolis? I like him. I, I, I think very much if you, then that's the thing with the Vikings. If you look at the, you know, overall, like their roster and, and who they drafted and who they brought in as far as free agents, like none of, none of those guys are producing. The rookies are kind of all banged up. So it really has been the one change is Kevin O'Connell. And I think in the way in which you're seeing them win football games, the, the only real person who probably deserves or, or, or can maybe make a claim for helping them in that case is Kevin O'Connell. So I think, you know, that speaks to at least his ability to kind of come in day one, year one, and in some ways exceed expectations. So I think he should, you know, at least be uh, uh, maybe in the discussion for a coach of the year candidate. Uh, when it's all said and done. It's uh, Ben Brown right there, of course, after the bye week, the Colts and that Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock affair up in Minneapolis against the Minnesota Vikings. That's his home base. Ben Brown, a PFF every Tuesday right here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, any numbers I didn't ask you about, anything that intrigued you, piqued your interest, or surprised you where we are right now, either in the season or just coming off of the week 13 in general? I mean, I didn't realize we had, you know, so many, uh, you know, cross-city rivalry matchups coming up here. So I'm excited about that, for one. I know I mentioned Isaiah Rogers. I might, he's the one lone bright spot I can continue to find. But I do think it is, you know, speaks to the fact that he is, you know, from, from a coverage grade perspective, when you, when, you don't, when you don't include or when you don't exclude penalties, because, right. you know, a lot of these guys get knocked for defensive pass interference. So if you kind of, you know, eliminate those sorts of things, they may be great better than him. But he is clearly, I would say, you know, in a lot of ways, sitting among the very best of coverage cornerbacks and, you know, guys like Sauce Gardner and, you, you know, the, all the sorts. And I think that, you know, tapping into that a little bit more, you know, it has to be in some ways the foundation for uh, kind of getting out of this mess that the Colts have found themselves in. It's uh, Ben Brown every single Tuesday. My friend, I appreciate that. And we'll probably dive in a little bit more to those numbers regarding the Vikings and Kevin O'Connell on the season they're having. Well, it's more appropriate for the lead-up actually coming up next week. You may even have somebody in for me because I may have a day off next week. So you may have to talk what? to somebody. Yeah, you believe that? What a big wuss I am. i got to take a day off. Yeah. Unbelievable. By week day had- off. Unless Kyle wants to wait wait until I get back. So I got I, I got baseboards to paint. For a half an hour. I gotta paint so. some baseboards, all right? I've got to find time to paint some baseboards. Honey do list. Honey do list. I got a I got a long one of those coming here this afternoon. I don't get called don't honey too often. I get, hey crank, get over there and do this. That's what I get. <laughs> crank do this. <laughs> All right, my friend. Either way, I'm sure we will talk again very soon, okay? I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. I like Ben Brown a great deal. PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 
uh, to more about that and the college football playoff and Deion Sanders and the transfer portal. I had to go to a resource that we often use when we need high-level college football knowledge. Our friend from SiriusXM, the College Football Channel, the former Colts tight end, the former UCLA great. His name is Charles Arbuckle. Hello, Charles. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? We're trying to sift through what in the world might be going on with Purdue losing Jeff Brom to Louisville, if that's going to be the case. What do you think about both sides here? Brom and the possibility of going back to Louisville, or Brom, is he better off staying in West Lafayette? What are your thoughts? Yeah, man, that's a hard one, man, because uh, the, the draw of going home is always one that, you know, we, we can say, yeah, it's not as big of a deal. It doesn't matter. But every time that, that position has been open, it seems like they want to touch, you know, Jeff Brom. They want him back. They're in the ACC now. So is that conference stable like the Big Ten? I don't know. But with all this conference movement and everything else, it may be hard for the, the folks in Purdue to realize that, they're going to always be in a position where as long as he's there, if, if he doesn't leave this time, anytime that job opens or they feel like they have to go get, you know, a, a, a Louisville Cardinal through and through, they're going to look at Jeff Brown. So I think it's just, I don't know. It's, it's one of those that we, we see on the surface. We always know it's there. But as a school, can they deal with it if it doesn't happen this time? Yeah, I just I don't think, and I I think we came to the conclusion here, and you can certainly disagree. I I think that if the overture does not occur for Brom, or if he decides this isn't the time, this this is going to be the last time, right? I mean, there's there no, wouldn't be a third no. time. I mean, it's either the time is now, or it's never going to happen for him going back to Louisville. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the only way it would possibly happen is if administration was different. But if they don't get him this time, I would think they would say, okay, we got, we got to be done with it. And do they have the money to pay him, you know, uh, as much as Purdue? I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking with the, the TV contract with the Big, Big Ten now, it makes it a lot more difficult. So I'm looking at those kind of things as far away from the sentimental value of it being a school that I attended and clearly a place that is special to him. Charles Arbuckle's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So Scott Satterfield created this drama, moving from Louisville to Cincinnati. Um, you know, oftentimes people say, well, that's an upward motion move you know that's a lateral move um whatever what, what, what do you think move wise that is for scott satterfield going from one school to the other that uh just so it occurs these two teams are going to match up in a bowl game this bowl season i know that's crazy somewhat of a not quite a lateral move but a lateral move right you know i think it's a little bit less if you think about the cachet cincinnati luke pickles done a really nice job of making them uh on par in, in those circumstances with Louisville and Cincinnati, they've recruited really well. Um, so I think it's, it's almost a lateral move for Scott Satterfield. However, I think it was a move that he had to make. You know, I called their game this year. They were struggling. There were some times where you thought he wasn't going to make it out of the year. Team got hot. They started playing better. Um, so I think it was almost one of those, hey, if I can find an opportunity, I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> and that's what he did. So – I wasn't completely shocked uh, when I saw that news because just being in that town and understanding the Louisville fans are tough. You know, they expect a lot out of their coaching staff. And there were some things that were happening with Scott 
where they weren't playing as well. And I think it was one of those things that was, uh, they don't, they probably don't want to say it, but almost good riddance. And now we can find somebody else who we think we can, you know, we'll, we'll do a, a really nice job or a better job than Scott Saturday. And, and obviously there's a, a, an argument or a debate to be had that, you know, if you get in the sequel, probably what you had wished for and wanted in the original, like the second time around is, you know, you're going to strike it gold-wise as far as Brahm is concerned here because, I mean, clearly they had interest the first time around. What do you think about, Charles, that Boilermaker gig? So you got your school, UCLA, you got your rival school, USC, going into the Big Ten and playing in the Big Ten West. What's that Boilermaker football job look like with that in mind and then coming off an appearance in that Big Ten title game on Saturday? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think Purdue, they want to be considered an upper-tier uh, Big Ten school. I, I don't think from a football perspective that's really happened for a while. They haven't been consistently, you know, in that in that upper echelon. But I think the one thing that I like is that they competed the other night. And they did make make you think for a little bit, okay, they're, they're battling Michigan. I didn't think ever that they were going to win that game, but I like how they competed. And I think that's the one thing that you're looking for if you keep Jeff Brom and he decides to say, or if he decides to leave, who can you bring in that will now help elevate you because you've got all the money uh, from a standpoint of a TV deal and you, you know, you're better than your rivals or and been more consistent, I would say, than your rival, Indiana. How do you get to the upper echelon? How do you get to that next tier? I think that's what the Purdue fans want, and that's what they're going to have to really look out. How's the thing going to work out? Your home base is Charlotte, North Carolina, so I'm sure you've heard a great deal about the coaching prowess at the NFL level of Matt Rule with the Panthers. So he gets canned during the season, and now he's got the gig in Lincoln to try to revitalize this Nebraska Cornhusker program, as many have tried to do before him. Is there a chance you believe that he can get it done? I think he can. You know, the one thing that shocked me with Matt Rule was the amount of years they gave him. You know, I mean, it's almost like these schools are competing against themselves, right? They're, they're, uh, these programs are looking like, I have to pay this guy this exorbitant amount of money. I have to do this buyout clause. And the, I don't begrudge anybody for making money. But I think we're watching it, and it's like, there's nobody else that really is. I mean, Matt Rule was a hot commodity in the college game because he has done a nice job at, you know, the schools where he was at before. Baylor was one, did a nice job of building, rebuilding that, uh, and then Temple. But I think this Nebraska job is going to be interesting because there, there's some innate things that happen at universities. I'll, I'll just give you an example. I don't know all the, the stuff that goes on at Nebraska because I don't, I have, I've known their coaches just in meeting them, but I know just as an example of Colorado, there were co- coaches on that staff, more, most recently with Carl, with Dan Hawkins, with um, Rick Neuheisel, and now that you have the transfer portal, Colorado has done some things on the on the hill that precluded them from getting grad transfers. They just talked about it today. They've allowed that to happen with Dion. I don't know why Nebraska hasn't been able to be as successful. I do know that their the recruiting pipeline in Texas dried up, which was always a, a solid base for them. They didn't get the New Jersey kids because now a lot of those kids are not going there. They'll they'll stay at the DMV schools or they'll go to Penn State. 
and their California connections were gone. And then the, the, they would get some Florida kids occasionally. If you look at their roster now, you don't have that. So I think with Matt Rule, with the transfer portal and him having that base in Texas should help them. Because, I, I mean, I, I talked to Broderick Thomas, who's, a, you know, one of the greatest Nebraska players ever. And the one thing he always tells me is, like, we should have a better stronghold in the state of Texas, Dallas and Houston in particular. And I think that's that might be the move that helps Matt Rule because he's been able to recruit all over the country. He's got a higher profile, and it, it will allow him to maybe get to those Texas roots. Now, with Dion, why did it take Colorado so long to get away from saying you have 10 classes that you took at X school? Two of them we take. The other eight we don't take. What kind of asinine stuff is that? So Dan Hawkins, had talked, they had, they, all those guys had talked about some of the challenges that they had on the Hill, meaning the administration and the, and the, the folks in academia. But Colorado, as good a school as it is, why would you do that to grad transfers even before now? And that's going to open the door for Dion to make it advantageous. So you got to think of when these schools are struggling sometimes, what are they doing administratively? They may be paying money. Yeah. Are they doing things to really help you become better and compete on that on that level? Is Dion going to crush it in Boulder? I mean, he has all the resources. If he doesn't, it's on him. If he doesn't get the – the first thing that he's done to me is I think the way he's kind of treated those kids, and I expect that out of pro coaches. I expect coaches to come in and say, look, you, we're gonna like, we're either gonna win with you or we're gonna win without you. If you're not on board, bye. The one thing I don't like how this has happened is how some of those folks that have been treated that were already there. Let them go out gracefully, and then you build whatever you want to build. Lincoln Riley had 50 transfers that left SC, and I, 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 the number may be wrong. You know, coaches are gonna run people off, but I still think there's a right way to do it. Because you know you can now get transfers, and you know you can get people in. So make sure you let people – you don't let the door hit them too too, too badly because you start building a lot of enemies. I like Dion. I think what he's done has been great. He, he brought Jackson State back. He's gonna, he has a, a really good air about himself. But he's got to be careful on how he's treating people early because that stuff can come back to bite you. Is and Charles Arbuckle from Sirius XM College Football, the former Colts tight ends on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How do you view the transfer portal, where we are with it right now? I'll give you a great example. JT Daniels, West Virginia quarterback, looks like he's going for round number four to transfer and find a new school. Is all of what is going on, which seems incredibly chaotic, okay as long as the games every Saturday, whatever the day of the week it is, are entertaining for us in college football? Yeah, I think it's starting to become a situation where people are looking at it like, okay, how much is this like the NFL now, and how much do I want to keep being invested in this? I think the other thing is you've got – it's, it's the game has changed, and I think we've had to learn how to change with it, right? So it's it's what it is. But I think the hard part is for it to change, and it, is it allowing us to still let kids graduate? Because as much as we think everybody's going to get to the league, there's a small percentage of these guys that are going to get to the league. So are they getting their education? And and I know we say, well, they're not student athletes. Well, yeah, you go to college so you can learn. Uh, and some guys just want to go play ball, and I get that. But when you finish up and then you have to work, or even if you play 10 years in the league, you still have 
that other side of, of it. Not everybody's crushing it in NIL like we thought. You know, it's all those factors. So I think that's the part for me that I look at that I hope uh, from that standpoint they have the right people in their ear because if you come away and you transfer multiple times or you get in a transfer portal and you're not able to get somewhere and get to school paid for, that's going to be a hard. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot tougher for you down the road. Uh, and I, I think that's the advice that some of these guys are getting. Hey, man, transfer as much as you want. After a while, people start looking, well, it didn't work out for you there, there, and there because of you, not because of the situation. So I'm interested to see how that happens, especially with those guys that are transferring multiple times or the ones that get stuck in the transfer portal. There's going to be about 3,000, maybe 3,500 kids. There's not enough places for them to go. And I think that's the part that I look at to see how are we going to fix this because you can't keep doing this every uh, session. And why are we asking to think that a coaching staff can go recruit right now, get ready for a bowl game, and worry about signing folks in the small window of time? Why don't we just go back to the February signing day if we're going to have this big of a push? And that will let you honestly evaluate what's going on instead of just – pushing people through or discarding them, in, in essence. It's uh, Charles Arbuckle joins us. If you're a team, and obviously the Colts are one, um, I'm skeptical as to whether or not they're going to be able to get somebody that they might want as a draftable quarterback in this spring's NFL draft. But would you rather have somebody this year, like a Young or a Stroud or a Levis, or lay out and wait for what is more likely next year, Caleb Williams coming out out of USC as a future NFL quarterback? Yeah, I, for some reason, I think the draft class is going to be a little bit better uh, next year. But I don't. I think the other thing is in your evaluation and what you look at, who's the right fit for you? Maybe they see that that now as opposed to waiting. Or if you wait, you may not be in position to draft a Caleb Williams or somebody else. So I think those are factors that have to be decided uh, by the Colts, just just with everything. They're, who's going to be their coach, how they're going to go about this, but then also what are they going to do draft-wise from a quarterback position because we, they've had almost rental uh, quarterbacks here lately, right? Guys that were up in age and thinking we had this one last push to make a run, and then that hadn't worked for them. Yeah, yeah, and they're still trying to work their their way about it. Is there is there a quarterback you like that uh, we have talked about? There's still a lot lot more time to go. There's no doubt about it. You got to go through a combine and workout day and all that. But is there a quarterback that you you like as far as what is going to be draftable coming up later on this spring? Yeah, I mean, this draft class to me, a quarterback is just not one that makes me say, "Oh, I mean, that's that's a great looking group." You know what I mean? It, it's it's a little bit. I want to see when we go through the whole process and as they work through what what the coaches think. I'm just not as high on this draft class as I, I have been in the past, and that's just you know C.J. Stroud is a good is a good player. Stetson Bennett I think is a great college player. I don't think he'll be an NFL player. You know it's those kind of things that you look at to say who is going to be that next quarterback that maybe comes out of nowhere. I don't know if Will Levis. All the things that I was thinking about him. I've got second thoughts. It's really hard to say I love a quarterback in this class right now. A lot of people tell me that Levis kind of falls short this season because he didn't have similar weapons as he did a year ago. Was that a part of the equation with the kid from Kentucky? It could be. You know, I'd say the guy that 
that I kind of like the best, is, and he's shown a lot, is Bryce Young. I think Bryce would be the guy that if you had a chance to, a little bit undersized, but I still think he has some innate ability, and, and he's shown that with a bad, like a bad Alabama offensive line, which is probably better than most in the country, still been able to play at a high level. I think Will Levis with the big size and strong arm and, and some of those things, maybe it's the situation of who his coordinator will be in the, in, in the NFL. Because I think that's the one thing I look at. He's got a pro, he's got a pro body and a pro arm, but is it going to translate? And can you teach him, you know, get away from some of the bad habits maybe that he's developed? I think C.J. Stroud will be another guy that's highly looked at because of his ability to move and get out of out of harm's way. Now, is it a system that Ryan Day has, or is it C.J. Stroud? And C.J. Stroud has some top-notch college receivers. So some people may look at it and say, is it the receivers or is it CJ? So those, those are the kind of things you'll look at and, and you, you just kind of wonder as you're looking through the draft uh, process. But Bryce Young, right away, top of mind, I would say he would be the guy that I like the best before we go into that, you know, the draft, the whole, the whole draft process. College football with Charles Arbuckle right down the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson coming out of Florida at quarterback? People will say on one side that he has, you know, athletic talent, um, capabilities that you just can't teach and others don't have. But on the other side, they suggest that um, it's probably way too early for him to take this swing at the NFL. How does he translate, you think, at the next level at quarterback? Yeah, I, I didn't see it consistently enough from him. I mean, he's, he really, really looks the part. But I just didn't see it consistently enough for, for me to say, yeah, this is a guy that I want to give my whole franchise to. I, you know, and I think with you, I think there's some things that he still needs to work on that he can be better at. I, I like his size. I like all of that. But it was just times when I watched him this year that I'm like, he's not ready to play at the next level. And I think, you know, if you look at it, you can look at a guy like Malik Willis, who was was talented, but still probably set, went to the best place he could with Tennessee so he can learn. And that's only going to make him better. I think Anthony Richardson has to be in the same situation. That's what I see from watching film of him and not watching every single game that he's played, but just kind of getting an understanding of him as a player. He's a little bit older. He's going to come off an injury situation where, at the time, he was leading his team and having an outstanding year. How do you view somebody like Hendon Hooker, a quarterback, on the next level? You know, I think what will help him is that he's been able to show he, he fought through adversity. He is a little bit older, but when he was healthy this year, he played at a really high level. And I think, is it a system? Or is he going to be able to do that at the next level? I think that's going to be a lot of what's, you know, challenged with Hendon Hooker. Um, but, man, when, before he got hurt, he was playing some really good football. But then again, is it because of uh, the system that he's in? Or can he, can he do that consistently outside of that? And I think that's going to be the big question mark for him as he goes through that draft process because he won't be able to participate in it because due to injury. So you'll have to do a lot more board work. You'll have to do a lot more, you know, seeing how he plays above the shoulders as opposed to physically. Um, Charles Arbuckle's with us. So your college football playoff 
That's going to be interesting, to say the least. And I want to really kind of eyeball in on TCU. That overtime loss to Kansas State, the Big 12 title game this past Saturday. But somebody that showed out big time was Max Duggan, the quarterback. What do you think about Max Duggan at the next level, the NFL level? Is that a possibility, or are we seeing his ceiling come down at this level in college football right now? I think so. Max has worked himself into possibly getting, you know, being on the t- NFL team. I don't, I don't know if he's a high round draft pick, but what I like about him is he's played a lot of football. Uh, bef- before early in the season, he, he was they were going to play Charleston State. I called a game, and he wasn't even the starter the week before. Uh, Chandler Morris, I think his son, uh, Chad Morris's son was a starter, got hurt and then was going to miss some significant time. And even then they were telling us, hey, we really like him. He's a you know coach's kid, just understands, and he battles. And sure enough, I think he's taken advantage of the opportunity, and he may have worked himself into a, a nice situation because he's shown how he can play. And if he plays well in the college football playoff, that's more eyeballs and that's more opportunities against top-tier teams. Not quite NFL teams, but it's teams that, will have a lot of guys that will be playing at the next level uh, consistently. So I think he's got a real good chance to, to improve and show, put some more good stuff on tape. And I think that's all you can ask for. If he's able to do that, we may be talking a little bit differently. Maybe he is a higher round draft pick right now. But starting the season, you can only imagine how he's gone from not even being a, a starter to a Heisman Trophy candidate. I think he's really helped himself, and he can only help himself more if he plays well uh, in however many games he's able to play in the college football playoffs. He's Charles Arbuckle with us. A final thing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How do you break down this college football playoff from Georgia to Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU? Um, What's your fascination? What's your thought and how this thing is going to work itself out? Well, until I can see somebody beating Georgia, I think Georgia wins it all. Um, I, I don't. I know they they were just a class above, even without like explosive skill guys on the outside, because their defense was really strong. And I and as much as I didn't want to give Stetson Bennett as much credit last year, the kid is a winner. <laughs> he just plays. He, he understands. And Kirby has got them playing well. So right now, when I look at it, without watching a whole lot of film on all the different teams, I say Georgia. Um, it looks like Georgia, Georgia's to win unless somebody can play them well. Now, I'll say this, Ohio State's passing game, if they're able to get in there and play um, consistently like they were earlier in the season, their defense just worries me the most. But they have the most explosive offense besides TCU. So it's going to be interesting, man. I'm really looking forward to to watching how the the, the matchups early are and then the the final game because it's, it's intriguing. We've got teams that, you know, like TCU, never been in it. To the other teams that have been in it, but now with different skill, weapons, and, and players. So I think Georgia has the best shot to win right off, you know, if you're looking at it from just the top of mind. But it'll be interesting to watch over these next few weeks how guys get prepared and how they're ready to play uh, come that semifinal game. And it's always a pleasure. I'll tell you what, we'll find out a little bit more and get back with you toward the tail end and certainly before we get into – some of these combines are what we're looking at because this Colts team, no doubt, will be eyeballing a quarterback, and they're probably going to play bad enough to at least sniff and maybe try to add a little something 
to try to get up there and get their long-term quarterback of the future. But we'll be on it with you to see uh, who you like, who you don't like, and uh, some of the things that are going to go down before the, the beginning of the year. Charles, I appreciate you more than you know. All right, man. Y'all take care. Thanks. It's, uh, Charles Arbuckle of Sirius XM College Football Radio on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline.